Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting from the Oilfield Expert Studios. Oilfield Experts, where you get the right products right now. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And now, it's time for me to welcome on my guest, Brandon Seal, who is the president of Howard Energy Ventures. Brandon, welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Jim, thanks for having me. This is where I'm really excited to have you because this is the first time that you're coming on the radio show. And and, and we have some similarities. Uh, you also like radio and you have a very popular podcast. Um, let's talk a little bit about, before we get into the, what y'all are working on, Howard uh, Energy Ventures, let's talk a little bit about your background first. You're the president. What? Uh, tell me a little bit about your bio as far as what brings you to being the president of Howard Energy Ventures. And then also, I want to talk about your podcast, because this is your passion. So tell us about you first. Well, so I've been in the oil field for about 20 years now. Um, I started uh, out on the natural gas drilling side. Uh, I, I, I went over into the renewable space for a couple of years. I started a solar company in Austin in 2006, which I sold in 2008. I came back into the oil field in time for the Eagleford boom and, and got to live through that. I had my own E&P company for several years where we were developing and, and drilling prospects in South Texas. Uh, for, for seven years, I was the president of Howard Energy in Mexico, leading our operations down there into to building new pipelines and new terminals into that environment. In the last two or three years, I've been the president of Howard Energy Ventures here, leading leading our endeavors into hydrogen, into carbon capture in, in particular. And there's, there's some odd similarities between doing business in Mexico and doing business in this energy transition world, namely around the fact that you're, you're, you're building projects into an uncertain regulatory environment that's developing as you're speaking which means you get to be and you have to be a part of developing some of the regulation and some of the financial structures around it. But it's even a little bit of a philosophical exercise when it comes into how are you gonna structure deals and contracts and incentives? Uh, and and I, I, I really enjoy that part of the business. You know, Brandon, I uh, had an interview with uh, a high level uh, executive from BlackRock. And you know, BlackRock has also been in the media a lot with the perception problems with the, are they um, penalizing oil and gas or not? But, but the, the gist of the conversation I felt a lot was this is a very complicated thing because people aren't just dealing with a business deal anymore. There's a moral uh, compass that's also being evaluated and by project and by company. And that's the new normal now with ESG, this environmental social governance. So when you say, you know, it's kind of like you're putting these deals together, but it's so much more to think about. It's not just the deal. Does it make economic sense? It's also a, a vision, a mission. You, ha you have to also be futuristic and think, what is that going to look like in five years with energy transition? Who's the winners? Who's the loser? It's a complicated and probably a very detailed process to try to come up with some answers for the future when there really aren't any. We're in the wild west. This is completely unknown what's happening right now. <laughs> No, and, and, you know, a couple, you know, high level thoughts around that, that I think sometimes the prospects of an immediate and categorical energy transition are a little bit oversold to people, you know, that energy transitions take decades or centuries to happen, you know, it's, it's not something that, that happens overnight. By the same token, though, I do think a lot of us in the oil and gas space, we, we, we probably fall back a little too easily on, on 
on the thermodynamics of, of the hydrocarbon. The fact that the hydrocarbon, it's hard to compete with the energy content and portability of a hydrocarbon. And, and, and so, you know, th there is a lot of reasons to believe that the world's going to keep using fossil fuels for a long, long time. But, of course. but, but two, two, two big things have changed. I mean, one is that public perceptions and public opinions are in favor of moving away from fossil fuel sources at this point. Not everyone, and it's not, it's not unanimous. But there's enough people that it is shifting markets, it's shifting investor investor behavior, and it's shifting the political and regulatory landscape. And, and the second point about that, too, is if you take in the aggregate what happened last year with the Bipartisan uh, Infrastructure Act and with the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, you've created an enormous economic engine around these, these energy transition opportunities. I mean, I, I was listening to Dan Jurgen speak uh, a few weeks ago, and he, he, he said it that the United States, after decades of of fighting this in other countries now basically has an industrial policy. And that industrial policy is that, that the United States is going to develop or at least invest broadly in these different energy spaces. And so the hard reality is that there are going to be innovations that come out of that. There are going to be dislocations to our existing energy supply chains that come out of that. And so again, I think we respond to that pretty excitedly because at least personally anyway, like I've always gotten off on the challenges of energy and energy is hard. It's 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 a it's a modern miracle that we can flip a light switch and, and have electricity and have have climate control and 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 push a button and have a vehicle that moves us around you know at at, at 100 miles an hour. Um, and it's not easy to make those things happen. It never has been. It's an illusion to think that it ever was. And so the the, the one thing we do know is that the way we produce and consume energy today is not going to look the way we consume and produce it in in 20 or 30 years from now. And, and the only way to be a part of that is, is to be in the game and to be open-minded to, to, to how how industries are going to shift. That's right. And I, and I do want to clarify, thank you, that the energy transition, when I mean that, I say that loosely, it's going to take a long time before we oil and gas is, is we're completely off of it. Everything we utilize today is a byproduct of it. Even President Biden in his State of the Union speech, Brandon said, we're not going away from oil and gas. And today, BlackRock's executive also, which is, will you join me on another show, is, is saying the same thing. Their future portfolio and the trillions that they are investing in is not have, going away from oil and gas either. So if there's a listener that thinks that it's going to be replaced, I, I wanted to clarify. That's well, probably not gonna and that's actually, that's kind of a good transition into talking about carbon capture is that, you know, that if, 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 if we can come up with a way to mitigate some of the undesirable side effects of, of consuming and combusting fossil fuels, namely the CO2 emissions are, are the main ones, th then we've, we've really, we, we've eased the, the, the pressure, we've eased the, 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 the urgency of, of needing to reduce that consumption or, 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 or reduce the output from it. Um, you know, right. the, the idea, the idea of, uh, so obviously combusting hydrocarbons results in the release of CO2, carbon dioxide, Carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas. Greenhouse gas levels in industrial times have shot up from something like 300 parts per million to 450 parts per million. It is, regardless of, of, of your views on, on how impactful that is to, to climate change or global warming or whatever, it is, it is clearly a, an experiment on our atmosphere of, of global proportions. And, and again, investors, consumers, and the, the, the public at large has said they want to invest capital in, in, in trying to, to mitigate some of that. And so, you know, one of the most impactful and obvious ways to, to deal with the problem is if, if you can prevent that CO2 from being released, or if you can capture it before it, it, before it goes into the atmosphere, you can mitigate a lot of those effects. Um, you know, the, the world today produces something like 40 billion tons of, of CO2 per year. 
The U.S. produces something like 5 billion tons per CO2 per year. The U.S. CO2 emissions, however, peaked in about 2007. So they've, they've been declining over the last 15 years as we use energy more efficiently, as we use denser forms of energy, like more natural gas instead of coal and, and, and things like that. And by the way, eventually other countries will, will also get on that curve as they, as they move up the prosperity curve and they move away from coal and they move toward natural gas and nuclear and, and things like that. But, but in the meantime, the, the technology of carbon capture is pretty exciting because it's something that we've been doing for a long, long time in this industry. For, 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 for 70 years, if you've had a process stream coming into a plant, you have treated it for CO2. Because the problem is if you have CO2 and it, it, it combines with water, if it gets wet, you have carbonic acid and that's corrosive. That's corrosive to your equipment and, and you, don't, you don't want that. So we've been treating CO2 for a long time at the inlet of our plants. Historically, however, we've, we've just released, we, we've released that CO2 back into the atmosphere because there's been no reason not to. There's been no economic incentive to capture and do anything different with that CO2. Uh, what's different about that now is the 45Q tax credit. So the 45Q tax credit was, was initially placed into the tax code, I mean, I want to say 15 years ago or something, but at a very low level. And $20 a ton is what it initially was in 2008, maybe, when it was initially passed. That's changed now. Now, as of the Inflation Reduction Act, it's now $85 per ton. At $85 per ton, you can capture a lot of the stationary CO2 that comes off of the some some, some of the, the the various processes that that exist in in, in the uh, uh, in our industrial economy. You can capture that CO2. You can pressure it up and move it through a pipeline, and you can inject it underground. And again, those are activities too that we've been doing for a long time in this business. We, you know, there's 5,000 miles of CO2 pipeline in the country today, and we've been injecting CO2 into the ground for 50 years also as, uh, as acid gas injection wells. The difference now is that you're going to do it on an industrial scale. You're going to target CO2 emissions from from various industrial sources, uh, and you're going to do it on a scale that we've never done before. That thank you for describing what carbon capture is. So just to clarify. Um, and and, and let, we'll talk about it in another way. Let me ask you this way. Um, you all signed a lease. Uh, it was just passed with the Corpus Christi Port Commissioners. So there's port commissioners that run the Port of Corpus Christi. And, and a lease agreement was signed with you guys in that area specifically for carbon capture. So tell us about, first of all, the project and how we're going to get into the specifics more of how it's going to help the community and Corpus Christi and the port. But let's start with first, what lease and what are you going to do with this project? So Howard Energy with our partners, Talos Energy, uh, have entered into a long-term carbon dioxide storage agreement with the Port of Corpus Christi. So you, using the lands that belong to the Port of, uh, the port of Corpus Christi, we will capture, transport, and store CO2 uh, more than a mile below the surface, so about six to nine thousand feet below the surface on on those lands that belong to the Port of Corpus Christi. So this is one of the largest, um, and, and certainly one of the largest multi-source CO2 projects uh, that anyone's talked about al along the Texas Gulf Coast. Um, I say multi-source. There, there's been some in, there's been some point source projects that have been announced where people are gonna gonna sequester CO2 or store permanently geologically store CO2 from specific LNG plants or specific projects. But what Corpus Christi is doing is a little bit different. They're aggregating, they're creating this, this network of, of, of CO2 gathering lines to be able to capture CO2 from all the various different sources, from, from petrochemical plants, from refineries, from steam methane reformers, from steel mills, from, from ammonia production, from, from, from various other plants, and be able to put that all into one system, realize some economies of scale, 
and, and inject that and store it permanently uh, in the subsurface. Um, tell That's us- right. And that is, that is, uh, that is a mind boggling. Let's take a quick break because I want to drill down a little bit more because there's so much industrial industrial stuff going on in Corpus Christi. And I want to ex- explain it uh, or understand a little bit better what is Howard Energy Ventures going to be doing as these partners come on board. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show. And we'll be right back. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us. 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. And we're back. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Brandon Seal, who is the president of Howard Energy Ventures. Brandon, before the break, we were talking about the announcement that Howard Energy uh, Partners Venture um, was signed a new lease or was approved by the port commissioners for a new project. And um, it, it, you're talking about a lot of partners coming in and capturing uh, their forms of carbon and pushing them back into the ground. Can you explain a little bit more though? Like I can't really visualize who are the partners and, and how does this work in the Corpus Christi and how are they bringing this together? That makes it a little unique. Different. So, one way to think of us is, I mean, we're basically creating a disposal service, a CO2 disposal utility in the same way that if you go in a port environment, you've got a, a water provider, you've got a fuel gas provider, you've got an electricity provider. The idea that the Port of Corpus is, is, is Corpus Christi is driving here is, is to have essentially a CO2 disposal provider option for anyone who's in the port already or anyone new who's coming to the port. One of the major factors that you're seeing in site selection criteria especially for, for, for European uh, companies, for Japanese companies, but for any kind of industrial company that has an international uh, stockholder or, or shareholder base, is what can they do to reduce their, their carbon dioxide emissions? And in most cases, if you go into most places, th- there's really no options available for that. But the idea of, of having this multi-source hub, and by having this entire network that spans the entire coastal bend region, especially there in, uh, in Nueces County and, and, and San Patricio County, is to be able to have an option for anyone coming in to site their plant or to site their operation there to plug in their CO2 into our pipeline network and take it over to uh, an injection well to be able to permanently store that underground. So what that becomes is a major competitive advantage for a place like Corpus Christi to to be able to attract good, new, clean jobs um, into the region and, and, and and to continue growing responsibly and diversifying it's 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 workforce and it's employment based because as we, as we talked about it initially one one fact of energy transitions is that there's there's dislocation associated with that some jobs do go away and but new jobs can be created if it's if it's done strategically what we don't want to do is do what the rust belt did 50 60 70 80 100 years ago and and not replace industries that that may be changing or transitioning you know that that it's 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 not not to knock places like Buffalo or you know Rochester or things like that, you know places that we visit, which were these incredible hubs of industrial innovation and activity for a long time, but they've really also suffered for many decades because they they went through a major downspell as as industry and and, and the world economy changed. 
the idea in Corpus Christi and, and here in South Texas is, is to try and be the ones really leading that change. And, and, and by the way, I would argue that the Department of Energy's uh, award to the Port of Corpus Christi and, and to Talos Energy and to Howard Energy recently of a, a grant, of, of a $9 million grant for, uh, for Carbon Safe is, is the name of the program. It's, it's an acknowledgement right. that Corpus mm -hmm. Christi is, is, is leading on these fronts and that the Department of Energy is, is willing to bet on Corpus Christi to continue leading. Right. It's so exciting to see the growth and the change and the leadership uh, that is happening in Corpus Christi and the residents, how, how fortunate they are to be considered. You know, this port is just a shining star when we talk about an energy port. You know, their, their numbers being a, a net exporter uh, in, what, five, six years, we're able to do that. They have all these new green projects, just, and companies like Howard Energy Ventures investing in them. Let's drill down a little bit more. Can we talk a little bit more about the $9 million grant, the carbon safe um, that was awarded to them specifically through the Department of Energy? Tell us a little bit about what this grant is going to consist of, the scope yeah. of the work. The grant that was awarded by the DOE uh, to, to our, our consortium recently is targeted in particular at, at the engineering and design of the hub system of the pipeline network and then drilling okay. called the stratigraphic test well for the, the CO2 sequestration project. So to, to be able to legally inject CO2, to store CO2 permanently, you have to get a class six permit from the EPA. And as a part of that process, there's an enormous amount of, of subsurface and geoscience uh, work that you have to perform to convince the EPA that you can contain the CO2 that's going to be injected uh, underground. And so as, as a part of that process, you shoot 3D seismic, uh, you're gonna examine existing well bores and existing 2D seismic to make sure there's no leak paths and that you understand the subsurface. But in particular, what you're gonna go out and do uh, is go out and drill this stratigraphic test well, which what it does is you, you're gonna drill a well all the way through the, the storage zone and actually all the way through the, the, the basement of, of that storage zone as well too. And you take whole cores, you, you, you take physical chunks of rock, physical columns of rock, both front, from the ceiling layers above and below and through the reservoir itself. And you bring those back up to the surface to conduct petrophysical analysis on them and make sure you really understand the porosity, the permeability and the rock mechanics of, of that rock. And then in addition, you know, after you drill the stratigraphic test well and you've compared it with your seismic and you've, you've, you've convinced the EPA that this is a, a, a safe container, you have continuing obligations too associated with monitoring the, the CO2 plume that you're injecting underground. So you, you have to drill separate wells that are gonna monitor how far the CO2 is going out and you have to conduct uh, ongoing 3D seismic sur surveys as well. All of this to add too that, you know, carbon dioxide of course is, is not, a, it's not, it's not toxic, right? It's, uh, it's, it's what we breathe out all the time. It's, it's in our air, it's a component of our air, it's, it's what plants breathe. But it is under pressure, and any industrial process that's under pressure, uh, you need to be careful with. And you don't want it to go where it's where it's not supposed to go. And so we take this very seriously. On the spectrum of the different products that we move around in this industry, uh, carbon dioxide is on is on the much much more benign side, um, uh, you know, compared to even natural gas or, or propane or, or uh, ethylene or you know some of the more complicated products that do move around, in particularly in port environments. So. The, the, the point being, the, the DOE grant will help us further the, the science around how to do this safely and responsibly, uh, and also in a timely fashion, too, because the, the goal is, is to, to start doing this here within the next two or three years.
Perfect. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to get more uh, drill down into it a little bit more pertaining to the lease. When do we see this project taking off? Uh, but let's take a quick break. You're listening to an oil patch radio show. We'll be right back. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. Once again, that's shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com to learn more. Shale is your one-stop shop for growing your business. Pick up the phone today and call 210 210- 2407188 again 2102407188 Remember this name Oilfield Experts to locate any part anytime for your automotive or oilfield equipment needs Oilfield Experts specialty is those hard to find oilfield parts for your fleet maintenance needs and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965 From the auto repair shop to the pump jack call us for the right part right now Write down this number, Oil Field Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. And visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. And we're back. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Brandon Seal, who is the president of Howard Energy Ventures. Uh, Brandon, before the break, we were discussing the $9 million grant that you re- that your company received from the Department of Energy called Carbon Safe. Is this a new project? Um, can you tell us more about, like, what, is this the first one of its kind, or are there going to be more? And so how many well, companies carbon, got? Yeah, Car- Carbon Safe is a, is a framework that the Department of Energy developed um, several years ago for evaluating and characterizing the subsurface that's going to be used for permanent carbon dioxide sequestration, carbon dioxide storage. And so the the carbon safe program is broken up into phases. There's phase one, two, three, and four, where phase four is deployment. Phase one is uh, initial pre-feed or preliminary uh, analysis of of the subsurface. And phase two, these were the awards that were granted uh, under, uh, under the recent announcement from the DOE. So there were 11 grants uh, awarded by the Department of Energy. Um, only two were in Texas, and they were both in Corpus Christi. Um, one was to the, 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 the onshore project, which, which is ours with Talos on, on the port of Corpus Christi land, Authority lands. And the other one was offshore to uh, Dr. Tip Meckel's group, which is just offshore and, and adjacent to, to, to our project. So again, a strong, strong, strong endorsement from the Department of Energy of, of moving these projects forward in Corpus Christi. And, and for a lot of good reason, Corpus Christi has a lot of advantages in terms of I mean, for one, it does. It has world-class geology. This is the, the things that have made it such a good oil and gas producing region, or what's going to make it a good carbon sequestration uh, region as well. It also its emissions are, are, are kind of nicely concentrated in, in kind of a bowl shape. If, if you look at other places in Texas, they tend to be up and down long channels, up and down the Houston Ship Channel or Port Arthur. So they're kind of strung out over a longer distance, whereas Corpus's Corpus Christi's are, are, are a little bit more concentrated. But I mean, the other factor is too that you have a very proactive. Uh, 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 you have very proactive local governments and administrative divisions of the state that are that are really pushing these projects and, and saying that they want to lead on them. You mentioned Dr. Uh, Tim Meckel, and I met him and interviewed him at a conference I went to with the Port Authorities in, in Tampa uh, last month. And his 
you know, speech was how important for, for other ports, because they were all ports that were at this conference, how important it is for them to get involved in carbon capture. There was a lot of money that was put in the IRA um, for specific infrastructure. Your advice, tell me a little bit about why are ports so crucial in the carbon capture space? Yeah, and it's I, to their I, advantage. I, I, can't, I, I can't remember the specific, specific uh, statistic off the top of my head, but, but I'm, I'm going to throw out a directional number that I think is not terribly far off that something like 50% of the stationary point emissions of CO2. So like non-car, not cars, planes and, and boats and ships and stuff, but stationary points like power plants and steel mills and refineries and stuff like that. 50% of those CO2 stationary point emissions worldwide are in ports or near port environments. So ports are the obvious place. If, if you want to reduce CO2, if you want to capture CO2 and store it, Ports are the obvious place to focus. It also helps too that in most cases, well, I mean, by definition, they're, they're located near the offshore environment. And there's a lot of advantages to, to going offshore for, for, for CO2 sequestration when you start talking about these enormous volumes that, that come out of these near port environments, just because you have large contiguous tracts of land that typically are owned by governments in Texas by the, the general land office out to nine something miles and, uh, and, and then federal waters beyond that. And governments are the ones that, that seem to be taking the lead and are, are, are the ones that are the most invested in reducing CO2 emissions or doing things to capture the CO2. So, so Dr. Tim Meckel, his Gulf Coast uh, Carbon Center has been the leaders on this research for 15 years. I do recommend people go, go check out his website. There's some great uh, uh, works, uh, published works that are available that he's done specifically focusing on the Texas Gulf Coast and, and why this is something that the Texas Gulf Coast can really lead on. That, you know, that I think we, we can really become the leader on, on, on carbon sequestration. We've always been the leaders in energy, and this is just a continuation of that. Um, and then I think the world's going to look to us to see if, if there's a way to, to do this responsibly and, and economically. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. Hey, when you're in business, you have to make a lot of tough choices. So let's talk about an easy one, your workers' comp coverage. If you're a propane or butane dealer or operator, you need to join the Lone Star Energy Safety Group through Texas Mutual Insurance Company. As a member, you'll automatically get a discount on your premium, plus you can earn double dividends that'll go straight into your pocket. It's the easiest decision you'll ever make. Find out more at texasmutual.com slash Lone Star Energy. Are you a business owner feeling overwhelmed where to begin your business's online presence? Maybe you've spent thousands of dollars in the past just to be highly disappointed with the results. We understand because we were once you. Since then, we decided to hire the very best experts to help us and you. Let us send you our business profile that will quickly show you your Google business rankings in these five areas. Reputation, ratings online, website, advertising and social media and search engine optimization all of these areas really affect how google ranks your entire listing so if ranking on page one is your goal pick up the phone and call us now 210-240-7188 or simply go to shalemag.com slash business profile we'll be in contact with you within 24 hours once again pick up the phone and call us now 210-240-7188 or simply go to shalemag.com that's s-h-a-l-e-m-a-g.com slash business profile start dealing with a company you can trust and always find and we're back you're listening to an old patch radio show my guest today is brandon seal who is the president of howard energy ventures Brandon, I want to talk a little bit about something that I'm not really sure I quite understand, and it is um, 
an agreement that uh, Howard Energy Partners has with, is it Infinum, um, which is delivering waste carbon dioxide? It's, it's CO2, and this project will be using feedstock in the creation of these electrofuels. What is electrofuels? And uh, can you explain it in a way that the average person can understand? And how yeah. will we use it in benefit? And I'll take it back even one step further, too. So when we talk about ways to reduce CO2, the, 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 the biggest and most impactful way to take a lot of CO2 out of the atmosphere is to inject it and permanently store it underground. But another meaningful, meaningful way to use it and, 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 and a, a more rapid way to use it because the, uh, the, the technology is here today and because the permitting timelines are shorter is to utilize the CO2 to make another product. There's people out there that mm -hmm. are utilizing the CO2 to make carbon black or to make methanol or to make, make some of these other pro uh, products. The, uh, in December of 2021, we signed a deal with Infinium Electrofuels, uh, which is an Amazon uh, climate pledge backed, backed company that is taking CO2, combining it with hydrogen and creating essentially a synthetic drop-in diesel product that you can use to, to, to swap out of any, any diesel engine. Um, the, by definition, you know, uh, electrofuels are made from CO2 and from hydrogen produced by electrolysis, pr produced by electrolyzers that, that are powered by renew renewable energy. But, but the, the idea chemically here is you're reconstituting a hydrocarbon. You're taking the C from CO2 and you're taking the H from hydrogen and you're making CH, you're, you're, you're making hydrocarbons. But the advantage is that this is something we can do today to take CO2 out of the atmosphere, to, to, to put it into a form that we can use it using existing technologies, existing internal combustion engines without having to radically re rewire or, or reconfigure our supply chains. So uh, our, our project with Infinium will be in service here in the next few months, um, later this year. Uh, it, 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 it will effectively decarbonize uh, a large portion of our operations at our Havelina processing plant. So it, it'll reduce the carbon intensity of, of all the products coming off of that plant, the polypropylene, the ethylene, the propane, the ethane, uh, and the hydrogen to something below two kilograms of CO2 per kilogram of hydrogen, which is significant because that, that's a, a considered qualified clean hydrogen under um, some of the various provisions of, of the tax code that, that were, were passed last year. But it's a good example, too, of us kind of taking a bit of a diversified approach toward this, of, of, of doing what we can with, with hydrogen and with our existing hydrogen production, exploring new ways to produce new fuels, um, uh, ways also to utilize CO2 in addition to sequestering CO2 so that we're not entirely dependent on, on that permitting pathway. Um, and, and, and just, again, going back to that attitude of being willing to experiment a little bit and, and be open-minded to the different ways in which we may we may use hydrocarbons and 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 other and other compounds to to power our world going forward. Visionaries, but so just to be clear, when you talk about these electrofuels and and you said diesel, it, so this will be easily replacing the dirtier burning diesel and actually creating more of a greener diesel. Yeah, correct. And yeah. so when we have all these eighteen wheelers that are using. And, and that's what this is for. This is for Amazon's middle mile fleet for for, for their fleet of, of delivery vehicles. Uh, they'll, they'll use this this uh, this this electrofuel for. And so, yeah, the, the idea is that that you're 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 capturing a molecule of CO two from the air. You're returning it. You're reconstituting it into a hydrocarbon in the form of an electrofuel. It'll be combusted again, but it's effectively circular. It's, it's a circular CO two. So you're not adding 
incremental CO2 to the atmosphere. It's the same molecule of CO2 that's just going, going, going around and around. And again, the advantage of that is you don't need to change the fueling system of, of the, you don't need to swap out internal combustion engines from every 18 wheeler. You don't need to swap them out from, from chips and, 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 and other, other places where diesel is being used. You can drop this in today. Uh, diesel is one application and, and sustainable aviation fuel is, is, is another, you know, very chemically similar uh, uh, compound. Both of them are very highly in demand. They are. And both of them are in very high demand as well. So a, a solution to a dirtier product making it green. And, and obviously we all remember what uh, a couple of months ago when uh, everyone was kind of afraid, are we having a shortage on diesel? I, I got a lot of inquiries to the show. Can you do a show on diesel? And so to hear we're taking, y'all are taking an older form of diesel, cleaning it up and reutilizing it, uh, which is also repurposing it into a cleaner, greener product. It's just, this is what I'm talking about is I get so excited the transitions that we're seeing happening we're talking about energy transition well, and, 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 and the ingenuities. Yeah, and taken together, you can kind of see how it's addressing the whole problem. Like we talked about carbon capture and storage as being good for the point sources, you know, the stationary sources where you can go capture it. It's not moving and, and inject it there. But then you have all of the mobile sources, the, the non-stationary sources, which you know, are driven in large part by transportation and, and, and mobility. But if you can replace those with electrofuels, again, you can reduce reduce that carbon intensity as well. And so, yeah, there, there, I mean, there, there's an incredible amount of innovation. There's an incredible amount of capital that's that's flooded into this space that's that's willing to take some some venture risk around it. But there's also a lot of of, of very traditional skill sets from our industry that, that are being deployed in new ways to, to help solve some of these problems too. Exactly. It's, it's, it is the oil and gas industry always thinking outside of the box to find a solution because they're always having to adapt to change. Tell me about your podcast. You are, you have a great podcast. I thought you never asked. Tell so, so I also have a podcast called A New History of Old Texas. Um, as you know, I've worked in Mexico for a long time, worked in South Texas my whole career. Um, I love going back to kind of the, 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 the pre-revolutionary Texas period and, and Northern Mexico, South Texas. So we, we've done a couple series on the founding of San Antonio, on the, the search for the battlefield of Medina, which by the way, we're getting very, very close on. Uh, the story of Alvaro Nunez Cabeza de Vaca and his journey through Texas in the 1530s, and then on the Republic of the Rio Grande down in in in, in the in the Rio Grande Valley. And actually, I'm coming out with a new series soon, which is which is titled "The Engines of Texas History," which really focuses on 10 different innovations and inventions that changed how Texans live and how they think about themselves. And so, it, it's kind of a nice tie to what I do professionally, what I do in my day job. To be able in this podcast to talk about the domestication of the horse and the Colt revolver and uh, oil, the discovery of oil, of air conditioning, of microchips, and, and and things like that. So hopefully I'll release that here in the next month or so. It's for a listener who wants to catch up with your podcast. Where do they go? Go to brandonseal.com, or you can find me on iTunes, uh, or you can look me up on LinkedIn too, and get get all of my professional engagement. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. Are you a business owner feeling overwhelmed where to begin your business's online presence? Maybe you've spent thousands of dollars in the past just to be highly disappointed with the results. We understand because we were once you. Since then, we decided to hire the very best experts to help us and you. Let us send you our business profile that will quickly show you your Google business rankings in these five areas. Reputation, ratings online, website, 
advertising and social media, and search engine optimization. All of these areas really affect how Google ranks your entire listing. So if ranking on page one is your goal, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com slash business profile. We'll be in contact with you within 24 hours. Once again, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com. That's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com slash business profile. Start dealing with a company you can trust and always find. And we're back. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Brandon Seal, who is the president of Howard Energy Ventures. Brandon, thank you for joining me on the show and giving me a, uh, giving us an update on all the amazing things that you guys are working on in the Corpus Christi area. But Howard Energy Partners, it's a $3 billion. You guys are all over. Uh, Mike Howard, also uh, another uh, president, just an amazing, intelligent, smart guy. You, We're just seeing big things coming out from Howard Energy. Uh, and uh, carbon capture, I'm excited to, to talk about this. I don't think a lot of people really understand. They hear carbon capture, but they don't really know what it is. So thank you for breaking it down for us. Now, I want to ask you about the oil and gas industry that seems to be um, so misunderstood, but also what is the path forward in the future for oil and gas? Um, some people really believe that it's going away. Of course, I don't think anybody does uh, that you know, really put some thought into it. Uh, President Biden said it in state of in his State of the Union. Um, but where will carbon capture and oil and gas, the industry, how, how are they going to stay together? How are they going to move forward? What do you see happening with uh, yeah, oil and I'll, gas? I'll, I'll, I'll go out and limit and say, I mean, I, I do think there's a risk to the oil and gas industry, and I don't think it's that oil and gas consumption are going to go away. But it's that increasingly, you know, I think the industry could could paint itself into a, cor a corner. You know, it, it could... It can have trouble attracting talent. You know, it, it can have trouble, um, you know, c convincing people that that it does have have a greater good in, in mind than what it does. I mean, I I think it's a very noble cause to produce energy for the things that power our lives and do whatever. But but by the same token, if if, if the industry isn't being responsive to the things that that the world says it wants to care about, CO two emissions and things like that, then then it's going to be fighting a, a, an uphill battle. Um, you know, I. I I, I worry too. There's, I think there's a lot of scenarios in which the oil and gas industry could miss the opportunity around carbon capture because, for very sympathetic reasons, but but for for, for reasons that may be detrimental nonetheless. And that you know the oil the oil and gas industry is very good at what it does. It, it produces a lot of commodities very very cheaply and very very efficiently. But to do that, most oil and gas companies are set up with very very tight guardrails. There, there there's there, there's whole layers of of management and and of of process to make sure that the companies don't deviate too far outside of, of, of their fairway of activities, which is, which is important because the things we do are dangerous and they're risky and they involve a lot of capital. And if we didn't have those guardrails, we wouldn't be able to do what we do so successfully. But the risk then is as the market changes drastically, as, as the customer changes drastically, all of a sudden, one of the major, if you're in the carbon capture business, your customer is the government. It, it's the IRS <laughs> is the one paying you to do this. That's a major yep. change our industry. A lot of other industries are used to having the government as a customer. The oil and gas industry is not used to it. And it's going to require require a major change because the government as a customer is going to require a lot of things that the oil and gas business has not had to do traditionally. A lot of forms of communication and of stakeholder engagement and of, uh, and, and of, of compromise, frankly, and, and, and regulatory 
don't know, re re regulatory mm -hmm. oversight that, that probably is is, is uncomfortable and, and, and foreign to at least domestic oil and gas producers. So I, I, I don't want to paint an overly rosy picture. I think what we do in the oil and gas business is, is, is important to the world and to the standard of living that we have. But I think there's a very real risk too that, that we, 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 could, we could get left behind if, if, if we don't find ways to, to lead into this new space and, and to set up things like separate ventures groups within our organizations or however best we think we can tackle these, these new challenges in new ways. It's definitely futuristic and thinking outside the box. Um, what, uh, for anyone who is skeptical, skeptical about, skeptical about, I have to say, skeptical about carbon capture and the process. You know, I can I can hear a listener emailing me, uh, but he talked about putting it in the ground and how do we know it's not going to go somewhere or leak out or sink into the water? Um, we're going to get that. So let's kind of cover it before we get those questions. <laughs> Tell me. Well, um, I mean, let's, let's work our way through the carbon capture value chain. I mean, the, the most people's first impression with carbon capture comes from the so-called clean coal movement, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, the challenge with clean coal carbon sequestration was not the sequestration part of it. It was the capture part of it. You know, that when you're capturing an emission stream off of a coal stack, it is a very dirty, hot, full of particulate stream that is very expensive and, and uneconomic to, to clean up. So set that aside, because that's not mostly what we're dealing with. We're, we're dealing with process streams that are cleaner to start out with than, 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 than a coal blue stack. Um, you know, the next steps, the other steps we've talked about, transporting CO2 and injecting CO2, we, we've been doing that for a long, long time. You know, 50 years in many cases in, in the form of CO2 pipelines in the form of acid gas injection wells. In terms of injecting it, I mean, what you're doing is you're putting it back in the pore space. It came out of the ground in the form of a hydrocarbon where it had been trapped safely for billions of years, mill that's too long, million, millions and hundreds of millions of years. It came out, we combusted it, and we're putting it back in there. And then once it once it's in the ground, there's three or four different ways that it that it is that it is sequestered, you know, from actual structural traps with the, the geologic formation to mineralization. It can actually mineralize in the way it combines with with some of the some of the rock components um the there's 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 residual pore space itself that it combines with and, and it can dissolve you know into the, the the liquids in that formation that it's going into as well but i guess i mean the last point is that if it, in the worst case if it escapes and if it comes back out of the ground it's going back to the atmosphere where it was going already you know so it's it's not like it's not like it's contaminating somewhere that it wouldn't have gone already the whole the whole objective is to take it out of the atmosphere and put it underground if you do have a, a leak, a leak here, it's what, what I would argue is, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a financial failure. It's, it's, it's an engineering and, and design failure, but it's not a human health failure. Now, again, let me set aside too. You're dealing with pressured compounds. If you have a pipeline rupture or something like that, just like on a natural gas pipeline, just like in any kind of industrial process, that's a separate risk, but it's not, it's not, it's not a CO2 risk. So going back to in, in, in the scheme of things, there's no human endeavor that has no impact on the environment. The things that we're doing right. with, with CO2 capture and sequestration on the scale of, of difficulty and, and, and risk that, that we engage in throughout the industrial world is on the pretty, pretty low side. I would argue the biggest risk is, is financial. It is expensive to do this. And do governments have the appetite to continue funding this? You know, because it may be that at some point they say, you know what, it may be cheaper to deal with climate change than it is to try and mitigate it through this method. But in the meantime, the smartest minds seem, seem to be saying that the, the two best ways that we can mitigate 
CO2 uh, in, in the atmosphere would be nuclear energy, which is something I can't really weigh in on, don't know about that, and finding ways to do carbon capture right. So from my perspective, it's at least worth trying to figure it out in a few places. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because there is a lot of benefit to nuclear, but when people think about it, they think about Fukushima and Chernobyl. And I think it's just a dead conversation, but it's actually a really great uh, solution. Brandon, thank you for joining me on the show today. We're really excited what you're doing. Keep up the good work. Uh, you guys are, you know, it takes one person at a time to try to save and change the planet. So thank you for what you do. Thanks for your work, Tim. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us. 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. Remember this name, Oilfield Experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oilfield equipment needs. Oilfield Experts' specialty is those hard-to-find oilfield parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oilfield Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. And visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com.